home listeners, it's me, Dr. J, your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and sometime researcher. And we are offering an exciting promotion for all of you listening at home right now. Like, we're actually doing the social meds thing, kind of, sort of. We're old. This is exciting for us. If you like it when the two of us travel into your eardrums, then you'll love it even more when we infiltrate your eyeballs in a non-infective way. (laughs) We tried so hard to make this less creepy. (laughs) This is the best we came up with. For the first 500 of you hearing this message, maybe your lucky number 363, you can go to travelmedicinepodcast.com and uh we made a thing dr josh made the thing i edited the thing and then together we put Produced the thing together the thing. yeah and, yeah, and what that's is the, the thing? word producing yes <laughs> and what is the thing it's around the world in 80 plagues a ebook form of one of our most popular running series if you've ever wondered what sausages and facelifts have in common this may also <laughs> be for you If you're wondering right now, you might have to just go ahead and pause this and go click over to travelmedicinepodcast.com. And all we ask for really is your email. We will never spam you. We will never send you anything from an advertiser or anything on there. We just want to be able to communicate with y'all directly. And as our first mailing, we want to send you guys a copy of our free ebook. Once you've signed up for our mailing list, you'll get exclusive access to we haven't decided yet, but it will be awesome. (laughs) All we know is that it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. So at travelmedicinepodcast.com, once we have your email, you can tell us. I will reach out to you, a real person, not a chatbot, and ask you, what do you like about our show? What else can we add on to make it even cooler? How many more plagues can we give you? So before all 500 digital copies are destroyed forever. (laughs) You do want one of these, by the way. It's not quite an NFT, but, you know, oh, yeah, it was one of the first downloaders. So go to TravelMedicinePodcast.com, get your copy of Around the World in 80 Plagues. We don't want to give too much about it away, but those of you who've been following us for a while will recognize all of the weird, gross, disgusting code words that we, you know, weaved in. If we're looking forward to hearing from you, we're looking forward to chatting with you. We're looking forward to being in your ears, eyes, and thoughts. Thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for listening. And, you know, thank you guys who take that extra step to go over to our website and sign up. We promise we will make it your, worth your while and bring you all of the medicine-y, travel-y goodness that you have grown to love. And Bye, let's everybody. get on with the show. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. And coming to you live from the lab from beautiful Los Angeles, this is Dr. Santosh, your pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. And we have made it to the final episode of our third season. Oh, God. Thank you guys so much. That's that's three years, Santosh, that we've been doing this, and... Along with three years, we now are up to 3,000 subscribers, and we love all of you guys. So, Santosh, at at three years and 3,000 subscribers, uh, what do you think we should do to celebrate? Let's go Disney! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, when you wish wish upon a doctor. (laughs) I've got to tell you, as residents, you would often wish upon a star, like just staring out the window. And seeing, like, the whole world asleep, except you're in the hospital. (laughs) Sometimes you'd have to, you know, because you were stuck in an intensive care unit, you'd have to wish upon a fluorescent light. But it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you'd always wonder if somewhere out there you'd be able to keep one jump ahead of the pager, one Uh, skip ahead of ER. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's a whole new world, Josh. It really is. And so, folks, gear up because there's going to be a lot of Disney puns coming at you. As in our final episode of Season 3, we discuss Disney medicine medically ever after. Yeah, and Josh, we got to hurry this one up because at the end of this episode, I turn back into a pumpkin. But I'll tell you what, make sure that you don't injure yourself because I don't want you to get any bibbidi-bobbidi-boo-boos. Oh, that's so kind of you. It's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it so that my uh, glass slippers don't shatter on the way. While, while well, I'm shower. glad you mentioned glass slippers because mm-hmm. I think we should go to classic Disney to begin with our Disney medical episode. Yeah, you want to go Golden Age. Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go Golden Age. And speaking of bibbidi-bobbidi-boo-boos, we'll start with the very famous Ella, she of yeah. the cinder fame. Although she only really got that, you know, terrible moniker when her stepsisters and stepmom started putting her to work. 
Well, and what did they have doing for work? Mostly housework, but of course, famously, she got the name from always having to clean what must have been, I can only imagine, a humongously large fireplace. Yeah, the mansion that they kept, um, even if you go all the way back to like Hans Christian Andersen, the original Cinderella tale, they had one of those big fireplaces with the hearth and a chimney going up, of course. So you had to sweep the chimney, you'd get a big thing of dust and cinders falling on your head, and then you'd have to kind of clean yourself up, and then you'd have to, after cleaning out the flue, you'd have to actually clean the cinders again off the hearth, out of the fireplace, and around from the room from that you just dusted. Do you happen to know what country Cinderella came from? I believe Cinderella was Denmark. Well, it might have been a tale, but going back through the medical records, it seems much more likely that uh, Cinderella may have been Cinderella and of Hispanic or Latin origin. Oh, interesting. So I'm guessing Europe still, so probably like Spain or something. Yeah, because there is actually a skin condition named for our dear princess known as Cinderella dermatosis. Whoa. Okay. All right. So I'm guessing not not beautiful pale skin as described, but like ash-covered skin. So first discovered in 1957, the fancy technical name is erythema dyschromicum perstans, or EDP. Okay. And it was described by... C. Oswaldo Ramirez of El Salvador, but he called the patients who had this skin condition los senescientos, meaning the ashen ones. The Spanish term senescienta also means Cinderella because of this folklore character's very close close association with ashes from being constantly in the fireplace. And it's a maculopapular rash, which is a bluish-gray color and tends to appear all over the body, the trunk, the arms, the face. It does tend to spare the oral cavity and the genitals, which is good because neither of those really should be in a fireplace. (laughs) Exposed skin, not exposed skin, doesn't seem to matter. A flat rash, and it's quite ashen. Although it, this disease does not actually have any true association with cleaning fireplaces, it did take on this name because this would certainly be similar to her appearance after all that cleaning. It has a very slow onset and usually doesn't resolve immediately, but it will resolve spontaneously. It okay. takes about two to three years that someone could have this rash. And very often it has a slight red border that's difficult to see because most of the people who have it, as I said, tend to be Hispanic in origins. They have a much more olive or tan-colored skin. Right. So darker skin, like if it was discovered in El Salvador, they'd be brown. Yeah. Now, it does have a little bit of an elevated border, although the general rash is flat. And we don't really know what causes it. Now, in children... It will tend to resolve in about two to three years. It just sort of fades away. But in adults, it's likely to persist even for life, and it's thought to be related to another skin condition, lichen planus. Oh, sure, sure. Lichen planus we know about. You're going to have, rather than a flat rash, you're going to have, like, thickening of the skin, which will also have kind of like a gray scaly appearance, right? Yeah. Um, Also shares some associations with another disease known as ichthyosis. Right. 
which is a scaly fish appearance. That, yeah, but that one is very severe because that'll actually bind up the skin to where, you know, like for instance, if it's on an arm, you'll actually have trouble moving the arm because of how tight the skin gets. Like establishing this diagnosis is actually pretty difficult because there's a lot of different things that can cause this dark bluish gray discoloration of skin. Of course, there are drug interactions, there are diseases like Addison's or hemochromatosis. So it's really a diagnosis of exclusion, which in doctor speak usually means we're not entirely sure what's causing (laughs) it. And this is the name that we came up with when we've exhausted all the other possibilities. Right. Well, the other part of it, when we say diagnosis of exclusion, is that you have a disease which is hanging around long enough and has enough in common with other diseases which are a lot scarier. The other two that Josh mentioned can lead to some severe problems down the road. So you don't want to ignore those other possibilities before giving them the diagnosis of Cinderella skin. Now, if somebody does have Cinderella skin, by and large, as I said, it will resolve on its own in children. In adults, they may use a couple different treatments, but the most are not really effective, with the rare exception of a drug known as clofazamine, which was originally developed for tuberculosis. Sure, yeah. (laughs) And is also given with isoniazid, another tuberculosis drug, which has a couple side effects that we did not see in Cinderella, which are a temporary orange discoloration of the skin and the eyes, the whites (laughs) of the eyes. Well, the reason for that is the isoniazid, or the byproduct, is excreted in every single liquid that you have. So it shows up in saliva, urine, and of course, tears and sweat. So that's why you're, uh, you know, over the whites of the eyes, it looks like it's turned orange because your tears are all orange. Yeah, so ashen skin and flaming eyes. So. <laughs> He's turning, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing to be scared of at all here, people. And maybe that's why, you know, the prince was a little bit hesitant. Sure, to... yeah. It was like, well, who is... <laughs> or maybe that's why she went in a pumpkin, because it had the same orange color, and, you know, there you go. Sure, yeah. Like, if I was the fairy godmother, and, you know, she was being treated uh, for erythema dyschromium, and then, you know, I look deep into my goddaughter's eyes, then I'd be like, ah, oh, pumpkin... Well, well, Pumpkin, let's not slip her up on this diagnosis, and we can move on to our next Disney character, who I believe you had looked up. So, staying in the Golden Age, mirror, mirror on the wall, what caused Snow White to fall? I believe it was uh, trying to keep the doctor away. (laughs) it was it was the fruit of original sin Uh, but yeah so you got a poisoned apple and snow white eats it and falls down and falls asleep and uh, the poisoned apple famously in snow white as the queen is transforming into an old hag and she's cackling she says ah it it will make it seem like she's dead and the dwarves will bury her and then she'll be really dead, meaning that she could put Snow White to sleep with this poison, but she really couldn't kill her. But she could put her in such a deep sleep that it would seem like death. And Dr. Josh, I really had to check out, you know, in the annals of our medical knowledge Do we know of anything that can put someone into such a deep state 
that it almost seems like they are dead. Anesthesiologists. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, and we have to imagine a little bit here. I don't know. Like, if you're a magic creature that's mining for jewels like how good's your medical acumen right like do you find you find snow white on the floor is it just like immediately she's dead or do you like at least like check for a pulse <laughs> i'm not you know? quite dead yeah. I'm sleeping. <laughs> sleeping i'm getting better <laughs> bring out your dead <laughs> well so, we know we know she was given an apple and we know that it was coated in some sort of uh, some sort of poison by Disney's first anesthesiologist. Right, and it would it would have to be something that you'd a either have to absorb through your skin, like she touched it, or you'd have to ingest it. Okay, so what did she use? Because I didn't see her with a blowgun. No, no. <laughs> here, here, dearie, have an apple. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Oh. Oh, that would be so terrible if she, like, gave her an apple and then shot her in the neck with a blowgun. All right, so an ingestible toxin that could put you into a coma, and fairly quickly, the one that I was able to come up with, although it doesn't line up perfectly, is pufferfish toxin from the beautiful, from, from not all fugu, but some fugu, which is also called, in medical speak, tetrodotoxin. TTS. Now that's the one from the famous Japanese sushi, the puffer fish, correct? Right. So it's the one that Japanese chefs who prepare it, they have to train intensely and pass a test and be licensed in order to serve it because it's that scary. Because you can literally kill your customers and that yes. is something that tends to drive business away. Yeah. <laughs> or actually during the testing portion where you are your own subject and you have to serve yourself your cut, uh, you could kill yourself. Now, I've actually had the privilege of eating pufferfish or fugu when I was oh. in Japan. Oh, what happened? And what it does is it puts a tiny little tingle on your tongue. So when right. prepared correctly, if you've ever had the sensation when your arm falls asleep or your foot falls asleep and that pins and needles as it's waking up, um, imagine that on your tongue <laughs> with each bite, and that's kind of what it tastes like. Yeah, so your tongue falls asleep like that. It, thankfully, it only lasts for brief moments, and I was able to continue enjoying the remainder of <laughs> my Japanese food without <laughs> any sort of problems. But if this had not been prepared properly, right. what sort of things would have happened to me if I had eaten, say, an apple with this tetrodotoxin? Sure. So... Initially, you are going to feel those numbness and tingling, and it can happen anywhere in your body, so it can kind of spread, and usually it goes from the point of ingestion, so you'll absorb the toxin right there, tongues, lips, face, and then when you eat it and you start to ingest it and it'll flow, you'll, you'll, you can start getting numbness and tingling everywhere. What'll happen, Josh, is eventually uh, you'll get a little bit dopey, You'll start to feel a little sleepy. You might get a little bashful, and you may have to see the doc. But seriously, <laughs> what what has happened is this toxin has increased the permeability or allowed for the movement of ions, uh, and principally for the sodium ion channel, which is just 
everywhere in every single nerve cell in your body. That means essentially your voluntary nervous system just starts to shut down. So numbness, tingling, and as it tends to get more central and central, you'll have a difficulty time moving. And then if it affects the nerves, you know, the conduction system, your brain to your spinal cord, you'll get dizzy, you'll have trouble focusing, your eyes won't work properly, so you'll get crossed vision and blurriness because your eyes won't stay where they ought to, and then your muscles will start to paralyze, and then eventually central nervous system nerves will start to shut down, so you'll go into coma, and some people, but not all, suffer seizures as parts of the brain start to misfire. And if you really start going in this direction, what usually kills people is paralysis of the diaphragm. So the phrenic nerve, which feeds the, the diaphragm, no longer works. And when the diaphragm can't move up and down, then you don't draw breath in and out thus taking away the principal components of living. Do you happen to recall in the movie how long Snow White was unconscious for? So this is the problem with using this as a model. Um, one, really, it doesn't affect your heart too much because your heart depends on a, a really on a different ion channel for the ventricles to beat. So you'd still get a pulse. And number two... Uh, if you were out for as long as Snow White was out, because I think it was days or weeks or something, it might have even been months, in her glass coffin, then Prince Necrophiliac, uh, charming. <laughs> I don't know uh, that it's that charming. Yeah, <laughs> finally came by and decided to kiss a dead woman for, I don't But of corpse. <laughs> I believe it would have been way too long for her to have been able to hold her breath and wake up as if from a deep sleep when Prince Charming kissed her. Now, tetrodotoxin can have rapid onset within 10 to 45 minutes or delayed onset within 3 to 6 hours. Right. But death can occur usually within the first 48 hours, but depending on the dose, may take as long as a day. So anything longer than a day, and the only thing that Prince Charming would have been getting is a piece of ash. Aha! <laughs> Must have had a powerful cod piece for that one. That is just awful, and I have nothing to <laughs> No, no, I'm, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I've got two daughters at home, and they love these princess stories so much, and I'm trying to get them, like, you know, to be empowered little girls you know instead of waiting for prince charming to rescue them to be like strong little girls who like you know guide their own destiny but from time to time like when i'm not around them because the older one is like six so i'm not going to teach her about necrophilia but you wait till they're at least 10 oh that. you gotta you gotta give them time <laughs> yeah exactly so but yeah every now and again i'm just like come on people you know so, you know who's gonna kiss a dead lady as you mentioned, tetrodotoxin would have been a great way for the evil queen to effectively take Snow White out, but it probably would not have been ideal for what we see in the movie with her sleeping for a long time. Although sleep disorders seem to be pretty popular in Disney. But speaking of princesses who have a bit of a, a problem with afternoon naps, the <laughs> one who... 
immediately comes to mind, of course, is Princess Aurora, the Sleeping Beauty. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she got poisoned. Well, she 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 went down by magic, um, according to Maleficent. She enchanted the spindle of a spinning wheel, and she pricked her finger upon the spindle of a spinning wheel. And then she was supposed to die. But the three good fairies, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether, and, or specifically Meriwether, I'm so sorry, enchanted the curse or changed up the curse such that she would just fall into a deep sleep not to death and then prince philip could kiss her awake but in this case at least prince philip knew she was just asleep because the good fairies actually brought him to her and said it's cool she's just asleep oh okay so we just made from necrophilia to date rape that's way (laughs) well i mean i uh (laughs) Okay, yeah. Uh, Just worlds, worlds of improvement. (laughs) But as it turns out, I don't know that Mary... (laughs) I don't know that Meriwether did Aurora any favors because it turns out what she may have given Sleeping Beauty is in fact not a relief from the curse or the peacefulness of a quick death, uh, but instead cursed her with a uncurable genetic condition <laughs> that sounds a little bit mean for like a fairy godparent or a good well, fairy but yeah okay. now i know she was asleep for 22 some odd years but would you believe that there is a disease that can have those who suffer from it sleeping sometimes for as much as six months at a stretch without being in an actual coma you're kidding me seriously I mean, and and they don't die as long as they're supported by IV fluids or something? Well, in some cases, not even that. There is a condition that is very rare as a sleep disorder known as Klein-Levin syndrome. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. This is a pituitary disorder. Yes, well, specifically one, I believe, related to a little bit more of the thalamus and frontal lobe. It involves a lot of different parts of the brain, but it involves hypersomnia, so frequent sleeping, hyperphagia, super eating, and hypersexuality. Now, in most cases, patients will tend to sleep 15 to 21 hours a day when they are experiencing episodes. And they generally... I have this at baseline. (laughs) Being a resident doesn't count. Oh, okay. Now, patients will generally experience recurrent episodes of the condition that go on for more than a decade. Individual episodes, meaning uh, periods of sleeping for sometimes as much as 22 hours a day, will last more than a week, but less than a month for a discrete episode. So you may sleep 22 hours a day for two weeks straight before having a lucid period. Now, symptoms in between these episodes will spontaneously resolve, and they seldom cause permanent issues like brain damage, although it Uh, There is a lot of suffering in the professional and social lives of those who have this condition. Now, people who suffer from this tend to have about 20 episodes over a decade. So if you do some quick math, 20, right, in 10 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's at least two a year, each lasting up to a month, where you are effectively unconscious, waking up only long enough to take in a little bit of food 
and then immediate or go to the bathroom and then immediately pass back out. So be, they're hibernating, like this is like a bear syndrome. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's a little bit, a little okay. bit like it. So several months will tend to elapse between episodes. Now, interestingly, there's a little bit of gender bending from Sleeping Beauty because (laughs) most patients who suffer from Klein-Levin syndrome tend to be male. Uh, Oh, okay. And of the ones who are male, they tend to have increased sexual urges or hypersexuality. So it is much more likely that a Klein-Levin Prince Charming in the middle of some sleep sexy time, would come across an unconscious Aurora and attempt to, shall we say, wake her. Oh, oh now, this, is, this is getting dark. <laughs> well, well, we'll lighten it up a little and go back to strict medicine. The onset of this condition, although we don't know what specifically causes it, it's often triggered by a viral infection. So the first time somebody experiences this, it usually occurs with symptoms very similar to the flu or encephalitis. Symptoms normally occur after some kind of airway infection. So very often Epstein-Barr, varicella zoster, herpes, or influenza are common triggers. Now, several days after the symptoms first occur, the patient becomes very, very tired. And again, the condition primarily affects adolescent males, although females can be affected about 25% of cases and the age of onset varies. There's no real drug treatment for this. Lithium and stimulants have been shown to promote increased wakefulness during episodes, but they do nothing to counteract the sort of fog or confusion or cognitive symptoms, and they don't decrease how long the duration is. It just means when you're awake for those two hours a day, you're a little more awake. You know, maybe you'll get a third hour. Now, so this these... is this is like the worst form with a couple of other problems of like narcolepsy cataplexy. Um, but on top of that, there's there are even more symptoms. Correct. Now, when they are awake, hours are spent in a very withdrawn sleep-like state. Imagine how you feel after pulling a 36-hour call and being forced to kind of make your way home while driving. It's that kind of mental fog or even worse that the people are awake for those brief periods during the day. Now, some of these people will experience brief insomnia and become very happy and very talkative after the episode ends. Or when, say, Prince Charming kisses Aurora awake. She could have just been at the end of an episode and been like, oh my gosh, hey, how you doing? (laughs) Just pure coincidence, having absolutely nothing to do with Prince Philip over there. Sure. Now, brain scans that have been done on patients who suffer from this during these episodes are completely normal. MRIs and CTs show no changes to the brain. However, when SPECT imaging is performed, which is a little bit more detail-oriented, you can occasionally see some areas of hypoperfusion or areas of the brain that are not getting as much blood as they should be. This hypoperfusion tends to be more in the thalamus and the frontotemporal areas, which is why you'll see this loss of inhibition making somebody hypersexual or hyper-hungry. And they'll have difficulty forming memories, which is why you see some hypoperfusion in the thalamus. I bet I can guess Sleeping Beauty's religion based on her condition. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So I'm guessing this is highly genetic. 
Well, there is definitely a genetic component because there are certain regions of the world where we do see this condition occur at a much higher rate. Okay, and we're going to probably be looking at what's the pattern of of inheritance, Josh? It's familial. It's not. It's, it's not autosomal. It's just okay. there is a genetic component. Oh, so if I your understand. parents so have it's it, not like, it's not perfectly Mendelian. Correct. It's not. Okay. If your parents have it, you will too. Okay. But it's it tends to run in families. Okay. So and. This kind of makes sense a little bit. This is an adolescent syndrome, right? So she, she was supposed to get married on her 16th birthday. Yeah. She was supposed to get married probably soon after celebrating her bat mitzvah. Oh, there we go. I was thinking about that too because like Klein and Levin. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Klein, Levin. Levin. Okay, so she was a Jew. Yeah, so okay. Klein-Levin syndrome or Sleeping Beauty syndrome tends to occur at a much higher rate in Jews, specifically uh, Israeli Jews and Ashkenazi Jews, which is the most common type of Jewish heritage we see in the United States is Ashkenazi. Here's another reason that we maybe shouldn't trust uh, Prince Charming to have those true rescuing motives. Even though symptoms tend to occur initially in adolescence, most of the time, even in people who suffer the more severe forms of this, symptoms very often completely cease for reasons we don't understand by the time the person reaches 30 years old. Oh, wow. So, okay, so this isn't like fatal. This is like they go through this insanity and then they kind of come out on the other side. Yeah, well, I mean, it's still su it still causes a great deal of suffering. Imagine, you know, having to take 15 or 16 years off your life in a waking coma. Sure, but sure. Also imagine Sleeping Beauty, you know, gets given this, she celebrates her bat mitzvah, yeah. and then a few days later she catches some viral infection from being out at all the partying. This no, sends her by into... her finger on the spindle of the spinning wheel. Yeah, sure, that's what she told her mother. <laughs> no, no, ma, I just, it was some prick. Um, <laughs> and she is out. Now, to spare her feelings, they tell her that, oh no, everyone in the castle fell asleep not just you honey sure. don't worry about it and you know right around the time that all of a sudden things resolve the parents have found somebody who is willing to take over the the burden of caring for her and she wakes up and sees him and she's you know very happy and talkative from this confusion from the end of an episode and he walks up and he's like oh yeah no i totally kissed you awake and we're gonna be married now <laughs> just Zero chance for choice here. Just, uh, <laughs> just you're your hose there, princess. Yeah. Uh, let's let me cover one more golden age, and then we'll move to the ones that I think are a little bit more familiar to our childhood. And that, of course, is we did mention Snow White, but we we didn't touch on our our seven dwarves. And there's two big medical conditions that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, the first being, of course, Santosh. Dwarfism. <laughs> Actual medical dwarfism. How is it different from people who are just short, like, say, Tom Cruise, or actual <laughs> midgets like we see in Mexican wrestling? Uh, we're going to get sued. <laughs> there is something very different from uh, being short. And, in fact, you can be quite short without having dwarfism. You can actually have growth hormone problems or just short stature. Uh, the most common of which is what we call idiopathic, or another great word, Dr. Josh for, ow. <laughs> now, is that derived from idiot? 
Yeah. <laughs> It, it it really is. <laughs> Actually, idiot and uh, idiopathic, when we say that, both of those come from a root word meaning uh, unknown. So idiot is one who does not know. Idiopathic means uh, pathos is, the, is a dysfunction. So dysfunction of unknown origin. But it's still, I think it's... It's more fair to be like, I don't know, <laughs> as I'm an idiot. Dwarfisms are what are more commonly properly known as skeletal dysplasias, are where there's actually a problem in constructing the skeleton as the person, usually from a genetic disorder. Believe it or not, Dr. Josh, there are 400 different types, which breaks down in 42 different ways. And um, the reason we've gotten to this breakdown all the way back from you know, when we started classifying these in Paris in the early 1940s. And the reason that we we got to this is because we started finally finding out that these aren't just like group syndromes, but they're due to a defect in a particular gene. And we've started to track down what genes are responsible. So for your bones in order to grow, they need signaling from the right hormones. You need the growth plates to grow. You need the long parts of the bones to grow properly. The flat bones, like in your skull, to grow properly, in your ribs, and all this kind of a thing. And then there's elastic tissue as well as bone in there, and that has to be you know, in proper balance, as well as minerals such as calcium and phosphorus. So if any of these kind of things go wrong, you can have skeletal dysplasia, which can lead to you having dwarfism, which means not only are you short, but things are out of proportion as compared to normal in terms of like the length of limbs and the length of the trunk compared to the pelvis and the legs. And you can have more of a propensity towards musculoskeletal problems such as joint disease or fracture. So all of these things together contribute to like this gigantic family of diseases that we classify as dwarfism. I think it also gives you an innate hatred of elves. Yes. And a desire Uh, to get involved in blacksmithing. Blacksmithing or mining, uh, both of them could work. Occasionally, just occasionally, but only when you gather together in large groups, you'll start chanting, Hi-ho! 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 It's off to work (laughs) we go. go. (laughs) Um, So the main features that change are that midgets tend to be proportional, whereas dwarves are out of proportion due to these skeletal dysplasias with bones growing at different rates or not at all, problems with the growth plates fusing. And with 42 different kinds, it's no wonder that Disney decided to stop at seven, because can you imagine what that 42nd dwarf would have been? Oh my god. And we would have had some tragic dwarves, because right now, most of them look like they fit fibroblast growth factor receptor deficiencies. So, like, your classic achondroplasia, which, generally speaking, there's not a lot of harm. Yeah, like, we could have run into, like, osteogenesis imperfecta types of dwarves, where it's just, like, fractures every time they reach up to scratch their nose, and it would have been a very, very sad story. Well, not to mention which, 
Disney was having trouble coming up with names for his dwarves. In fact, the names being tossed around, and this is this is a true fact, originally you were going to have happy, grumpy, sleepy, bashful, uh, you know, and the last one was going to just be called Seven. Oh, <laughs> like a Borg. <laughs> Yes, seven, seven of nine seven. was the original. Seventh of seven. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, that's... laughs> oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Happy, sleepy, grumpy, bashful. What were the other ones? Sneezy. Oh, so, uh, sorry. So I, I, I actually memorized this for just for this episode. It's happy, sleepy, bashful, sneezy, grumpy, dopey, dog. And seventh. <laughs> A replaceable plug-and-play <laughs> component of the greater consciousness. Resistance is futile. Yeah. Look, absolutely. naming things is difficult. Yes. Now, of course, part of the reason that the dwarf, that final dwarf, was going to be called seventh, is that uh, he was unable to talk and therefore could not tell the other dwarves what his name was sure sure oh i see so that would have been dopey yeah now imagine calling your your young or your older brothers be like hey older than me <laughs> uh, <laughs> hi elder one what <laughs> yeah, yeah throw back to like chaucer's english or something like that now Dopey is interesting in that most of the other dwarves have very obvious of defects where you can you can tell sneezy okay terrible allergies yeah. sleepy we can certainly touch briefly on narcolepsy uh, grumpy is probably just upset with being short but sure. dopey uniquely actually has what appears to be a neurogenetic disorder Oh, okay. Uh, which was record, you know, and and he does fall in with a couple of very unique patterns that we see with this. And I'm going to call it as Angelman syndrome, okay. previously referred to as the happy puppet disorder. Right. Yeah, this is a deletion of an arm of chromosome number 15. It's really kind of an interesting disease because it has kind of a partner disease. So in Angelman syndrome, you're not necessarily as short as a dwarf, although you can be short. But you do have, they'll call it a happy puppet because they will have some sort of autism spectrum disorder where they have trouble with social anxiety and language although it's not necessary to have that and they'll have repetitive behaviors where they kind of move their arms and legs as if they're strung up like a marionette like they're a puppet but they're also given to kind of fits of laughter now the kind of interesting thing of this is that if chromosome if that part of chromosome 15 is deleted such that you get an extra copy from dad you tend to get angelman syndrome if you get both copies from mom you'll get a different one called prater willy syndrome where in this case they're undernourished and kind of weak when they're small, but then by two to four years of age, they become obsessed with food to the point where they will eat everything and become hyper obese and get like type two diabetes at age seven. And um, interestingly, another one of the suggested possible names for the dwarves yeah. was hungry or gluttony. Oh, dear. 
These things were going to be like seven deadly sins. <laughs> yeah, the? so the dwarf was going to be hungry, and then they decided to go with Dopey. So it <laughs> sounds as though they really had their finger on the on the medical pulse for these. Now, Angleman syndrome, in case you doubt, let's compare. Let's go over Dopey's characteristics with the textbook definition. So yeah. Angleman, characterized by about 1 in 12,000 births, is known for developmental delay. Well, okay. I think we can all agree that compared to the other dwarves, Dopey is perhaps maybe a little bit slower. The okay. virtual absence of speech. Sure, and he doesn't speak at all. Yeah, exactly. A very peculiar organization of movement, which we see in his myoclonic jerks. Uh-huh, yep. Characteristic facial features. He's got those big ears and a much wider face than the other dwarves. Right, okay. Sleep disturbances, which we see when Dopey has a nightmare. Yes. Seizures. Because he does have a tonic-clonic seizure during that nightmare period. and uh, yeah, Okay, I'll give it to you. And despite all of that, a very happy demeanor, which you noted from the giggling. They also tend to be, for people who are, have a spectrum-like disorder, they tend to be very, very affectionate. And at the end of the film, when Snow White rides off into the sunset with her Prince Charming, and it's time for the dwarves to say goodbye, they each take their turn, except for Dopey, who takes you know one turn for everyone that the other dwarves do. Right. He comes back... <laughs> Again and again for an extra kiss and a cuddle with that unmistakable, overpowering affection that you see in so many individuals with Angleman syndrome. Right, right. So that is kind of the interesting thing is that a lot of people will put Angleman's kids on the spectrum, but they, they will have trouble with social cues. But rather than being scared of that, they, they do do that. They love to cuddle and they're very sweet. So yeah, I, I'll give this one to you, Josh. Yeah, we could definitely have amongst... Poor, all these poor achondroplasias, which we don't really know how the seven dwarves are like related or how they met or anything. It's vaguely implied that they're all brothers, but um, amongst them all, we have an Engelman's. It, it's possible that they are familial because the most common form of achondroplasia dwarfism is autosomal dominant. So you would see most, you know, if you had a you know, 50-50 chance of you know, seven out of seven brothers having dwarfism. Let's move on. Now that we have covered sort of our golden age of Disney, let's move on into the silver age, which is most of the ones that you and I grew up with, Santosh. That's true. And, yeah. and hopefully we can, you know, look through the medical conditions in the silver age of Disney and help them be part of our world. <laughs> Let's go under the sea for our first one and talk about the the Little Mermaid. Now, do you know why Ariel wore seashells? Because <laughs> the movie was rated PG. <laughs> well, that I... and because D-shells probably would have been too big. Oh, that was brilliant. Oh, that pun just went swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably why she had so much trouble getting Prince Eric to notice her initially is because, you know, she had crabs. <laughs> well, I mean, if she decided to share that information, uh, given that she had a catfish, caught her tongue. <laughs> what, would you say she catfished him? <laughs> she did. Actually, if anybody catfished anybody, it would be the octopus. It would be, uh, it would be Ursula. 
Earth. Earth. So, so yeah. let's talk about this. You know, why why did Ariel not talk? What what medical equivalence could there be aside from, of course, an evil sea witch's curse, which, yeah. as we know, is the most common cause of oh, sure of not speaking even in today's modern world. Yeah. <laughs> so there are quite a few causes where, um, you know, something like vocal cord problems uh, can lead to hoarseness and eventually all the way to, you know, just inability to talk, except maybe in very like raspy, whispery tones. And for more on that, please go back and listen to our beautiful voice coach and opera singer, Jessica Tivern Schneiderman, talk to us in our previous episode. Plugs! Yay! <laughs> um, but, yeah, if we're saying that she didn't wear out her voice, uh, meaning she didn't scream or yell or have um, laryngitis to where she had inflammation and she had hoarseness and this kind of thing, there's two possibilities. One, selective mutism, which is, Josh, Dr. Josh, frankly, not a thing. Okay, well, not a thing now. It has now right. moved on to a, a psychiatric diagnosis of social anxiety. Right. But at exactly. the time that the movie was released, this was still in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of sure. Diseases. Right, exactly. So we were still trying to figure it out. It could have been that she was just so anxious that she like she couldn't talk. But believe it or not, Dr. Josh, there is a component of anxiety which can stop your vocal cords from working, and it does happen in adolescent girls, most often in terms of epidemiologically, but you can have vocal cord dysfunction. And this is a teenage girl where the uh, a vocal cord, because of just spasm, tightness in the laryngeal muscles, which actually, they bring the vocal folds together so that when air goes through them, they vibrate and create sound. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So instead of that happening, those muscles become kind of clenched and paralyzed and you're not able to speak. And in fact, this type of dysfunction can happen in such a way where the girl almost feels like choked or she, you know, she can cut off her breath if she tries to talk too quickly. Um, she go <gasps> like that. And then as soon as she stops trying to speak, the muscles will relax and she can breathe normally. But she will not be able to speak because of this vocal cord dysfunction. Or at least if she tries, it'll be kind of a choking, coughing, halting type of speech. Now, what tends so, to cause this sort of thing? Because certainly being underwater in a high-pressure environment confronted <laughs> by a sea witch sounds like it could definitely cause some trauma to your vocal cords. Absolutely. And, you know, if we're talking, you know, kind of biologically, where her vocal cords were actually adapted to the seafloor, you know, and she sung beautifully, or at least she was supposed to sing beautifully until she missed her cue at the concert, <clears throat> young lady, she she would not be able to operate her vocal cords when she came back up to the surface. But no, a, a lot of the time, uh, it, it can be linked to something like anxiety. In other cases, which can happen to adults, if you have a surgical manipulation of the throat or neck, then some of the nerves or muscles which control the larynx or epiglottis can, 
get hurt. And in that kind of a case, you can also have either one side of the vocal folds or both sides of the vocal folds can suffer dysfunction. The one caveat, honestly, and really for Ariel too, you can still whisper. <laughs> so I one and kiss the girl. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You should still be able to whisper, and that's even, like, sexier, you know? I mean, taking apart the whole pedophilia You know thing. she was supposed to be, like, 13. Right, yeah, I mean, taking a... You know, because she wouldn't have known how to, like, woo a prince at this point. But, yeah, you can go up to a... You could, you could go up and whisper even if the vocal cords don't work well. Which I um, think is where this elective mutism comes in, because there are right. four subtypes with the most common or at least the one that is pertinent to our discussion being what's known as symbiotic mutism uh, caused by, interestingly enough, a little bit of the rarer form, caused by a vocal and dominating mother and absent father, or very <laughs> rarely the other way around. Well, I think we could all agree King Triton is fairly vocal and dominating. Uh, sure. And, and in true Disney fashion, it's a single-parent family. Yeah. <laughs> Can we find, let's go through the Golden Age and Silver Age princesses. Can we find one functional family here, please? And symbiotic mutism is characterized by the use of mutism as controlling behavior around other adults, who for the purpose of this story would be the entire kingdom and Prince Eric. Right. Um, so she is using her mutism as controlling behavior, but through a subconscious suggestion placed by Ursula. So I think that that takes care of Ariel, but let's let's go into one or two of the other Golden Age ones. Now, I'm just going to briefly mention as an aside, we have Pocahontas painting with all the colors of the wind. Now, there's no specific medical condition that Pocahontas suffered from, but the ability to hear the blue corn moon or sing with all the colors of the mountain yeah. <laughs> really sounds... Sounds like your senses are getting a bit mixed yeah, up. Yeah, I, I would I'd say drugs. <laughs> this could be drugs. If we want to keep this, shall we say, Disney rated, sure. I would I would suggest that, you know, the film version of Pocahontas suffered from some form of synesthesia. Now that comes from the Greek, so anesthesia is without sensation. Makes sense? Right. You're unconscious. Yeah. Synesthesia is joined sensation it's where you mix there's a lot of different types but it's where your senses get mixed up so people claim to hear colors or see certain representations of space among numbers like they say the number five just feels like it's further away than the number eight yeah some of my favorite synesthetes who are musicians would play a chord on a piano and say oh that's a very violet chord yeah, um, you can and, you can taste purple or you can touch the wind and you know all the things that Pocahontas goes over and interestingly enough the lyricist for Colors of the Wind sure. uh, Stephen Schwartz is an acknowledged synesthete. He does oh, have this nice. disorder. And by the way guys, before any of you out there are, you know, furrowing your brows going this has to be made up Actually and truly, neurological studies and repeated kind of rigorous testing have shown that, yes, synesthetes do feel what they say they're feeling. The kind of neurological connections that are made in the brain, these kind of 
crosstalk between the senses is a real thing, and some of them have even been mapped out. Um, so that's that's kind of our our quick throwaway from there. But let's let's move on to you know we'll skip over the Stockholm syndrome and avoid the psychiatric diagnoses that you so often hear talked about in Disney. But Santosh, <laughs> I believe that you you felt you knew one of the reasons we might have had a Disney villain who had a cause for complaint. To our very tall, stretched-out friend, Jafar. Before he turned into a genie... Infinite cosmic power! (laughs) I noted Jafar is a very tall gentleman with long, spidery fingers... Uh, he has many of the cardinal features of a uh, tissue uh, elastin disorder called Marfan syndrome. That's um, the same disease that Abraham Lincoln was believed to have suffered was from. Was believed to have had. Perhaps a recent basketball star named Yao Ming is another one who may have had this. Marfan's disorder is a genetic disease that affects connective tissue. And one of the features that you see is in the habitus of a person. They're very tall, long, and skinny. So much so that everyone can do this at home while you're listening. You can tuck your thumb into your palm like you're doing the number four and then close the rest of your fingers. For a Marfan's person, that first knuckle of the thumb will stick out completely outside of that little fist that you've made. It'll... it'll It'll be all the way out there. They'll have very long arms such that if they hold out their arms straight out to their sides, that's called a wingspan. That wingspan will actually be longer than their height. It uh, does make you look amazing in a villain cape, though. Oh, it, it so does. It's dramatic and it's so cool. But because of these issues over time and the connective tissue that holds your skeleton and your ligaments and tendons together, you will tend to have musculoskeletal issues. More, most commonly right down the spine, you'll have issues with scoliosis or kyphosis. And then other elastic tissues are the ones, for instance, which hold your lens in place in your eye. So your lens can dislocate and you can have heart problems because the elastic tissues which hold your heart valves together can stretch and deform. Wait, eye problems? Like not being able to recognize Aladdin as a prince just because he has a silly hat on? That's true, from not too far away at all, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Although, to be fair, Jasmine, come on, girl. You should know better. Well, she's too busy (laughs) having her tiger needlessly maul people starting (laughs) international incidents. (laughs) Yes, indeed. You know, girl power and all, but learn to play the politics game, Jasmine. You don't have to start wars just to check <laughs> somebody. If your go-to move is Raja, sick him. <laughs> like, that shouldn't be, like, your opener. <laughs> just yeah, saying. I mean, let's let's take the true moral from that story. You know, Aladdin, the classic tale of how to lie your way into a girl's pants. <laughs> and into a fake princehood. dude that guy got everything and he didn't tell the truth once in that movie not to anybody let's move on to our our next one now 
we will end on a modern princess, but right before we do that, I think we need to look at the animal kingdom briefly. We've been dealing a lot with humans. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. A couple Disney animals because there was a medical condition that was recognized by the animators at Walt Disney uh, about ooh, almost 20 years before it was described in the actual medical journals. Okay. All right. Let's. Uh, you're telling me Disney had a, a a jump. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at classic films such as Lady and the Tramp in 1955, um, Pluto's Judgment Day 1935, or if we want to go really late, The Fox and the Hound in 1981 all three of them featured dogs who had typical dog behavior you know elderly males who would pant whine snuffle howl laugh kick and propel themselves while dreaming you know how we classically see cartoon dogs sleeping oh sure yeah and you uh you know you say the usual things like oh he's dreaming of chasing a rabbit yeah except Around the mid-1980s, around 1985, we recognized that behavior as something we call REM sleep behavior disorder, or RBD, because yeah. as we have learned, when you are in REM sleep, the period of the part of sleep where you're actually dreaming and doing all these things, sure. your body, for your own safety, is supposed to paralyze you, so you cannot move. And when it is unable to do that, you see things like sleepwalking or sleep eating or, you know a lot of different activities that you should not be able to do and could cause you a lot of danger because you're doing them unconsciously. People have thrown themselves out of windows. They have driven. It's The reason is you usually think of sleeping, you know, like sleepwalking, like, you know, like you're a zombie or a mummy, you know, with your hands in front of you, like, uh, like that. But in fact, these people have their eyes open. They looked perfectly awake and they, they come do a lot of like functionally complicated things um sleep swimming can happen and people have unfortunately drowned in their pool often because they're doing fine and then they wake up and they realize oh my god i'm in the deep end and they panic it's it's a scary condition for sure you're you're supposed to sleep in like a big sleeping bag zipped all the way up to your chin <laughs> and then you wear like mittens so you can't unzip yourself yeah so you actually have to create almost paralysis you know a self-paralysis because yeah. there's no way to treat it but as i said this was actually recognized the first time it showed up was but in lady and the tramp there is a character trusty who while dreaming of chasing a criminal through the swamps trusty has his eyes closed he's growling he's sniffing around he moves his paws if he's running he drags himself across the floor and this is witnessed by lady uh, and another dog named jock now, in this exact same scene, Jock explains to Lady that Trusty, because he's elderly, is also losing his sense of smell. And during later scenes, we also become aware of how Trusty's also losing his memory. So he's, you know, you would think, oh, okay, well, he's an older dog. Maybe he's just getting dogsheimers. This is actually the clinical triad of REM sleep behavior disorder, which is cognitive impairment the lack of sleep paralysis and hyposmia or loss of sense of smell so it often co-occurs with this chronic idiopathic disease and this can be an early feature sometimes of neurodegenerative diseases like parkinson's or dementia so it's just very interesting to me that you know 30 years before this was first clinically documented in medical journals the animators at disney were picking it up 
And this is, what, now the wow. third or fourth sleep disorder that we've seen in a Disney film? I guess those animators were pretty tired. <laughs> well, we all know the fastest way to make a dream come true in a Disney movie is with a kiss. And I think it's time that we warn people off that magical Disney solution <laughs> with, our, with our final princess medical condition. So, so Santosh, why don't you tell me what happened to the, the most likely outcome of a princess who wanted to live medically ever after? <laughs> the Princess and the Frog, which was an absolutely enchanting movie. But don't kiss frogs. <laughs> don't put your lips on reptiles or amphibians. The issue that was happening and that was... You're not necessarily going to croak. No. But... <laughs> and, and we should say you're not going to get warts. That is a complete fallacy. You, you could get ill. You could get salmonella. And um, this is something that evidently uh, social media and uh, the news outlets were very worried about in February of 2010 when a bunch of sites were like, the Princess and the Frog just came out. Over 50 children have come down with salmonella after kissing frogs. And it was fake. Totally fake. <laughs> nobody nobody kissed any frogs uh, to the degree of causing an outbreak of salmonella. There weren't 50 or more children. It was a gag. But there are um, still today here in the United States um, cases of salmonellosis that happen usually to kids when they handle uh, amphibious or reptilian pets and then don't wash their hands properly and then they go to eat or their hands go to their mouth. Probably there isn't going to be any kind of like outbreak of frog kissing salmonella, but be, be careful around reptiles and amphibians. <laughs> so with that, I, I believe we finally come to our happily ever after. Before we, before we give our wrap-up, do you have any other Disney puns that we missed? Snow White was a little short on funds. Simba was walking too slow, so I told him to Mufasa. <laughs> when uh, Pocahontas went to visit her psychiatrist, she kept telling him, you're a wigwam, you're a teepee, you're a wigwam, you're a teepee. And the psychiatrist said, you have to relax, you're too tense. Um, or when Captain Hook met his first mate, who told him, hello, it's me. My rapuns will make you facepalm. <laughs> and we certainly didn't go over any of the villains from Beauty and the Beast, like Gaston, who was the winner of the Nobel Prize. We didn't spot any Dalmatians during this particular podcast. If only we had seen a combination of Mulan and Frozen, we could say, let's get down to business to defeat the Hans. Ah! Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. Oh, I'm getting chills. <laughs> or that new tattoo parlor that Mike Wazowski started, Monsters, Inc., so next time around, we've got to get in a lot more uh, Disney puns. Why is Peter Pan always flying? Why is Peter Pan always flying? Because he never lands. Oh, I love it. I, I love this joke because it never gets old. <laughs> Wendy, will you ever stop? <laughs>
<laughs> All right, so that, folks, is the most we're going to make you suffer uh, for this season. We are going to take a break for a few months to work on some new episodes and to get a little bit more traveling and medicine in ourselves. We will be back with brand new episodes, guests, and stories in October, as well as a few new surprises. In the meantime, thank you so much for your support, your reviews. We are on a couple new things now. Tell your friends, rate us, review us. You can now, in addition to finding us on Stitcher, on Squarespace, on iTunes, we're also on Google Play Music, and we're on SiriusXM's mobile app Spoke through their health pathways. Yeah, yeah. So if you're on any of those and if that's where you get your podcast, thank you so much for listening. But if you've got someone who's like, I'm not an iTunes user, I can't get podcasts, just be like, hey, you can now. And, of course, you can always find all our episodes on Facebook and Squarespace. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me with help from all of our co-hosts, especially Dr. Santosh. Yay! I got credit. So stay tuned to the feed over the summer. We will be releasing a couple bonuses uh, while we're gone from Dr. Santosh's Science Corner and beyond. And until October, happy travels. Bye, everybody. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com need new glasses or want a fresh new style Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.